0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to St. Paul's. We're so glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or online. My name is Tyler. Before I begin, invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you fill this place and each of us with your Holy Spirit, that your Spirit would give us senses to perceive your living word and see there the face of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, Merry almost Christmas, folks. It's technically the fourth Sunday of Advent, that month of quiet preparation and sobriety leading up to Christmas, when we get ready to welcome the arrival of Jesus, his first arrival as a baby in a manger, and his second arrival, which we await today, as the king who's going to set all things right. But today's our service of Christmas lessons and carols, Bible readings and songs, and we're jumping in the gun a little bit because even though it's not Christmas yet, there's like too much good Christmas music to just put it on one day. And we're like kids who have heard a noise downstairs on Christmas Eve and are poking our heads around the banister to see what we're going to see under the tree. Christmas is nearly here. The Christian Bible has four Gospels, which are biographical accounts of Jesus' life. Each of the four is named after its author, So you've got the Gospel according to Matthew, to Mark, Luke, and John. Now two of those four Gospels, two of these biographical accounts, Mark and John, don't mention anything about Jesus' birth. They don't say a word about that first Christmas. They basically start with Jesus as a 30-year-old unknown, bursting onto the religious scene and quickly going viral. Luke, the third gospel, has all the best Christmas stuff, hands down. It has the birth of John the Baptist. It's got the angel telling Mary she's going to carry God's son. It's got Mary and Joseph traveling, and there's no room at the inn, so they have to give birth in the stable where all the animals are. How an angel appears to the shepherds, tending their flocks by night, and they want to go see the baby, has all the best Christmas stuff. And then there's Matthew, which we just heard read, and like no disrespect to the reader, it just feels like a little bit of a Christmas letdown, because where's the baby Jesus, and the animals, and the star? Like did you notice the first verse in the Matthew reading? It said, now the birth of Jesus the Messiah, that's another way of saying now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, and then there's nothing about the birth of Jesus. Instead, it's all about the man who will be Jesus' adoptive father, Joseph, deciding what he's going to do with the news that his fiance is pregnant and the kid's not his. And let's be real, this is not the stuff of nativity scenes. Like, imagine if you went to someone's house in December and you saw this. We've got a slide here. Yeah, you saw this. And you're like, what's that? And they're like, oh, that's my nativity scene, my Matthew nativity scene. <laughs> See, that's Joseph. He's engaged to Mary, but they're not together yet, so that's why he's by himself. They're not living together yet. Yeah, and here he is. He's found out she's pregnant, and he's going on a walk to think about his life choices. And uh, now here's the angel talking to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. I mean, like if you did a Christmas pageant, according to Matthew, it would be an off-off Broadway one-man show. The birth of Jesus took place in this way, and it's all about Joseph, nothing about the birth. So what's up? How is this possibly a Christmas reading? In a nutshell, it's this. What Matthew, the gospel author, wants us to know is that God made the birth of Jesus happen that this wasn't a birth like every other birth. And the way that Matthew tells us that the first Christmas was no accident is, he begins with Joseph. Joseph, Mary's husband, who wasn't biologically related to Jesus, but who would be his father in every respect, who raised and loved and protected him as his own. What happens was this, Uh, Joseph is a Jewish man, age we don't know, engaged to a probably younger Jewish woman named Mary. His parents would have scoped out the eligible women, talked to her parents, and come to an arrangement that the two would be married. Nothing unusual in this time and place, and frankly, nothing unusual in a lot of places today. Marriage in that time and place was a two-stage process. First the parents agreed, and then the bride and the groom were engaged, and the engagement was not like an Instagrammable event. It was a legal contract with a prenup, the whole shebang. And at that point of engagement, the man and woman are technically husband and wife. That's why Matthew calls uh, Joseph Mary's husband. They're just not living together as married people yet, which was the second stage of marriage. Anyway, so Joseph and Mary in this reading, they're in between the first and second stage. They're formally engaged, which means legally husband and wife. And that's when Joseph discovers that Mary is with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, that's what Matthew tells us, but the situation on the ground would be complicated. The Gospel of Luke says that an angel appeared to Mary and told us that she would conceive a child by the Holy Spirit, as in without anybody else involved, just a baby coming out of nowhere. And after this happened, Mary immediately goes and spends three months with her cousin Elizabeth, who is also miraculously pregnant, but in her old age. Presumably, it's around this time, because people talk, that Matthew says she's found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. But of course, who believes Mary, right? Like, just because these people lived 2,000 years ago doesn't mean they're superstitious rubes. They know that babies don't come out of nowhere. You can only imagine the rumor mill. Here's this unmarried woman who's found to be pregnant with no father in sight in a deeply traditional culture where this is a really big deal. At the time, the legal penalty for adultery was death, and adultery is what Mary's pregnancy looked like. So, Matthew's telling us she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but to everybody else at the time who knew, this would have basically been a huge scandal. And here's Joseph, whose life is suddenly falling apart. His fiancée is pregnant, and the baby's not his. So, what's he do? Being a righteous man, Matthew tells us, Joseph was unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, and he planned to divorce her quietly. This is a small detail, and it's irrelevant to the overall arc of the story, but I think it's important and lovely, so I just want to do a brief digression and sit with it for a minute. Joseph was a righteous man, so he didn't want to shame Mary. It's such an interesting word choice, isn't it? You'd think a righteous man would want the full measure of the law upheld. Right? This is God's law, after all. He'd want justice for the adulterer, whatever that was. But not Joseph. His righteousness looks like mercy. It looks like kindness. It looks like gentleness. God the Father has no gender, is neither male nor female, but the child conceived by the Holy Spirit will be born a boy who will grow into a man. And before the angel ever talks to Joseph in the dream... Joseph is already the kind of man, compassionate and gentle, that God chooses to be an example to Jesus as he grows up. All right, back to our story. So Joseph's life has fallen apart, but he's made up his mind about what he's going to do. He's going to figure out a way to end the engagement, no fuss, no muss, and he goes to bed. I imagine him tossing and turning, but he finally falls asleep and he has a dream. In Joseph's dream, an angel of the Lord, a messenger of God, appears to him. And lots of people might think, whatever, that's just a dream. But God speaks to people in dreams, then and now, in the shadow hours, when our senses are still and the border between life and death and reality and fantasy and heaven and earth stretches so thin. And this is what the angel says. Joseph, son of David, the angel says, meaning he names Joseph as the descendant of his people's greatest king, David. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. It's an interesting word choice, isn't it? Afraid. Because the angel knows this is weird territory. It's scary terrain for Joseph. He's being asked to do something that will make him look the fool in his cultural context. The Rumors will persist probably his whole life. Don't be afraid because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, this isn't what you think it is. Mary hasn't cheated on you. That would be normal, at least. What's happening is way stranger than that. What's happening is that this pregnancy that's derailed your life is from God. She's going to bear a son, the angel says, and I'm telling you now, you're going to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua. It's an exceptionally common Jewish name. It means the Lord saves. And this child is going to save his people from their sins. What on earth? How? Joseph doesn't know. And with that, poof, or whatever noise angels make when they move, the angel's gone. Well, now Joseph's in the thick of it, isn't it? Because he thought that the only thing he had to do with this pregnancy was deal with it like a gentleman, cancel the engagement, and move on. But now an angel showed up in a dream and is like, your fiancé is pregnant, but you're going to marry her anyway because that's God's baby and he's going to save his people from his sins. And you're going to name him. And all of this happened, the gospel writer Matthew says, to fulfill the ancient prophecy of the prophet Isaiah, who said a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which Matthew helpfully tells us means God is with us. We'll come back to that Emmanuel stuff. Hold that thought. What happens next is Joseph wakes up, and he knows this wasn't a dream like other dreams, like this wasn't his subconscious working some stuff out, right? He hasn't showed up at Torah school with no pants or something. This is God talking, and he does it. He does what the angel said to do. So fast forward through all the stuff you already know about Christmas. No room at the inn, the shepherds in the field, the baby in the manger, and really above it all, Mary's incredible trust to carry this child despite all that it meant. Through it all, Joseph is faithful to her, and Joseph is faithful to God. So we come back to our question of the hour. Why does Matthew tell us This is how the birth of Jesus happened. And then tell us all about Joseph. That's because he wants us to know that the first Christmas isn't an accident. It's the furthest thing from an accident. It's a birth that's been coming from the beginning of time. The reading we heard about Jesus' birth isn't the start of Matthew's gospel. It's just, just after the start. Matthew's gospel starts with a genealogy leading up to Joseph. That's what sets up this story about Joseph and his dream. It's a genealogy that spans thousands of years. Matthew wants to show us that Jesus' birth, wants to show us Jesus' birth by showing us where Jesus has come from. Matthew wants to show us that Jesus doesn't just appear out of nowhere. He wants to show us that Jesus is the answer to an ancient promise. He wants to show us that Jesus means God hasn't forgotten us. At the beginning of 2022, shocking to believe that that's the same year as this one. It feels like it's been five. At the beginning of 2022, we preached through the whole Bible. 20 weeks, the essential passages in this grand story of God. And those who remember the E100 series might remember us talking about Abraham, a man who lived thousands of years before Jesus. Abraham was faithful to God, and God promised that Abraham's descendant would bless the entire world. The problem was that Abraham and his wife were old, far too old to have a child, but God miraculously gave them a son, Isaac, and Isaac's son was Jacob, and Jacob was the father of the whole Jewish people, including eventually King David, whose line would rule forever, God said. That's the genealogy that Matthew starts his gospel with. It starts with Abraham, down through King David, down through the generations struggling in exile and oppression, leading right to Joseph this is how the birth of Jesus happened not a birth like any other birth but a birth in eternity in the making Matthew starts with Joseph because he wants us to know that the birth of Jesus was the answer to that ancient promise the promise that had been passed down through the longing generations between Abraham and Joseph Joseph the great 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 etc grandson of King David of Abraham Joseph, whose ancestor Abraham received the promise of God. See, God made a promise to Abraham, and the proof of the promise was that, Abraham gave, that God gave Abraham a son. And generations later, the way that God kept that promise is that he gave Abraham's descendant, Joseph, God's son. Joseph names him Jesus, meaning the Lord saves, to fulfill the prophecy of a child named Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Meaning God is with us. And in these two names, Jesus, Emmanuel, we've really got the heart of the Christian good news that God saves us from our sins by becoming one of us. It's such a staggering message. There's nothing else like it, nothing else even comes close. You couldn't write this stuff this unbelievably audacious idea that the Creator would become part of the creation, that this is who God is. This is the nature of the world in which we sit. Because this isn't the only way you could think about God in the world, and in fact, pretty much every other way would make a lot more sense. It's certainly a lot easier to imagine, say, that everything's just the result of some impersonal cosmic power And the tragedy of human existence is just an accident playing out on the margins with nobody to watch or weep with us. It's easier to imagine that in a lot of ways than it is to imagine God becoming a baby and the hopes and fears of all the years coming together in a single human child. And I'm sure there are some people here who really struggle to believe this the stuff about the prophecies and the virgin birth, and that's okay, I'm so glad you're here anyway. Because maybe you want to believe it. And at Christmas time, now as then, the border between heaven and earth stretches thin. And at Christmas, maybe you can dare to hope that it's all really true. The baby God, the Virgin Mary, the shepherds and angels, all of it. That reality is not so humdrum, but it is charged with the grandeur of God. And maybe consider what it would mean in your life in the coming year to draw near to this God who has drawn near to you. Because at Christmas, you can dare to hope with the gospel author Matthew that the birth of Jesus took place this way. It was God keeping a promise.